Welcome to the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing podcast, where we explore the hottest topics in cyber marketing, interview experts, and help you become a better cybersecurity marketer. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing. I'm one of your hosts, Gianna Whitfer, and with me is the lovely, as always, Maria Velasquez, who is also the only podcast host in the world who, right before the podcast, says, I'm going to go grab a snack for the podcast, I think. <laughs> Which I did not, actually. I, I'm saving you all listeners from the crunch crunch on the microphone. I just grabbed water. That's all. That's a bummer. <laughs> Because you're such a good cook. I wanted to see what your snack was. <laughs> Imagine I bring a tagine to the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Breaking Through and Cooking Tagine with Maria Velasquez. So we are so excited to have this week's guest on the show. He is a friend of the Cybersecurity Marketing Society. He is a guru. He hasn't proclaimed that. We're proclaiming that in demand gen and growth. And we are so excited to welcome Tom Kish, Director of Growth Marketing at Cardinal Ops to the show today. Thank you so much for being on, Tom. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited as well. I think I might be slightly more excited about some snacks that we're talking about here as well. But yeah, this is ranking right up there with my hunger. Surprise topic, demand gen and snacks. <laughs> I mean, it can't get any better than that. Well, I guess that means we're going to have to talk about gifting. And gifting snacks sometime oh, during this episode, right? I think there we might, go. yeah. So, Tom, on our scoping call, you had said that demand gen and growth are misunderstood, or at least a growth title is misunderstood. Can you kind of explain to us what you mean? And maybe give us some definitions in your mind of like, what is demand gen? What is growth? How are they different? And why are they confusing? This came up recently where I've had a demand gen title for many years. And I felt that was highly misunderstood within my own organization when talking to other people in, in other departments. And I made a conscious decision to change it to growth marketing now because I like the simplicity of, hey, like we're trying to grow revenue. You know, we're, we're trying to grow this business and I'm doing everything I can to lead in towards that. Where on the demand gen side, you'll see job openings for BDR, SDRs that have demand gen in part of the title. And it's like, well, I'm not a BDR and SDR. I'm, I'm on the marketing side. Particularly leadership, management, and, and sales individuals definitely always misunderstood demand gen. They think it's very lead gen focused and have different ideas of what that is. At some companies, they would think it's only cold outbound, like that's what you do. And, and others, it was only paid sponsorships and, and some of these other things. And it might come from my background of being sort of a jack of all trades and, and being on small marketing teams, but I've always thought of it as it encompasses a lot of these different things. It's about orchestrating these campaigns that cover a lot of different channels to reach these end results that we're going for, which is leading towards growth. And because it's demand generation and it's so close to lead gen, it always gets into lead gen. And yeah, I mean, anybody who's had a demand gen title has been tasked with a lot of lead gen KPIs or goals or metrics and initiatives. And I always didn't really like how that skewed your strategy and the things that you were trying to do. It really limited your scope and, and what you're trying to accomplish and, and some of the ways that you can do it. Because the reality is you're trying to create demand, you're trying to identify demand, 
and you're trying to capture demand. I'm trying to do all three of these things, but typically only one of those would ever be the, the focus of demand gen. So I'd been at many companies where I was giving presentations and I'd be like, here's a definition of demand gen and having to put that in front of people to tell them, this is what I think it is and how I'm going to, to do my job in, in this way. And for a lot of people, they're like, oh, I didn't know that. Or I thought it was this other thing or this small thing or, or something where I find it to be much bigger. And it's really about the integrated sort of multi-channel campaigns and the way you understand the way other teams are working around that as, as well, whether that's product marketing, field marketing, digital things, a BDR, SDR team, sales, and putting everything all, all together. So I fought that battle for a long time. So I was like, I'm going to try growth marketing and see if people understand what I'm trying to do a little bit better. Love that. That hits home, Tom. Last year, I, I introduced myself to the entire sales org at my job and said, I'm Maria. I own the most confusing function of marketing. <laughs> Everyone That's had a, a good way to put it too. That's a good way to put it too. Yeah, it's it's funny. My first demand gen title was actually my first cybersecurity job too at the same time. And the first time I applied for it, I was a little bit like, I don't fully understand what you mean to the company hiring me by demand gen. And when they when the CMO explained it to me, I was like, oh yeah, I've been doing all that stuff. But some people you know, this was a handful of years ago, we're just calling it digital marketing or other broad sort of marketing terms. It was funny to me in that way too. I was like, oh, it's just a new term for things that people are doing anyway. But it was interesting how it got misused so much in years after that. Oh yeah. Do you ever feel like companies make a decision to bring on a demand gen person when things aren't working and they think demand gen is the answer and the savior of it all? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> there's definitely a moment where people are, there's always this like event or this initiative of, of when demand gen should come in and it's going to solve problems. It's going to get us over the hurdle and accomplish things like that. And it's funny because to do effective demand gen, it takes a long time, which is usually they're like, hey, come in, hit the ground running, like do all these things. And when you, when you talk to people and say, hey, the integrated programs that we're going to build and the idea of growing awareness and actually creating demand that we can later capture is going to take like six to nine months sometimes. And it's like, oh, that's not what they want to hear. Like, you know, you're, you're in to fix the problem and solve it, not kick the can further down the road as well. So it's interesting. I think it's definitely there's a lot of pressure put on roles of demand gen because your success can be measured a bit more than some other areas content marketing, field marketing, and other areas sometimes can be evaluated off of activity or earlier indicating metrics where demand gen's a bit more like, hey, are we getting pipeline revenue and growth in those, which can take a while if you have large deal cycles, large deals, and if you're in a newer product category and stuff like that. So balancing quick wins with long-term strategy is, is a very difficult area and something that I think is misunderstood too in demand gen. Usually a marketing team will come in and build some of the foundational elements. And then it's like demand gen will come in and say, hey, now we're ready for this to be something that's going to solve our problems in terms of let's get some demo requests, let's get a bunch of high quality leads, let's get customers and buyers in. And you kind of skip over the middle path at times too, like when you do that and how it's like what happened in between there, just because you're ready to start 
capturing that and getting to that end goal, what did you actually do to change your marketing strategy to actually build towards that? Yeah, you mentioned earlier that demand gen is sort of the function that can be measured the most because it is tied to pipeline. And you're right. I think that there is a lot of pressure on demand gen because it also is the function that spends the most, of course, other than events. And sometimes events is lumped into that demand gen function, right? But sometimes it's its own depending on the size of the team. But yeah, the spotlight is definitely on demand gen because if you're spending monthly on ads, if you're doing content syndication, display, all of that, we need to figure out, okay, well, what's that bringing? Yeah, it's it's a double-edged sword, right? It's a blessing and a curse, the access to budget on the demand gen side, where there's kind of a happy medium. When you have too large of a, of a budget, sometimes the marketing gets lazy because of that as well. You, you don't think about what should I be spending money? You think more about like, wow, look at all these things I can spend money on. And and you take some shortcuts in, in that way. And I had the advantage of working at some companies where I had very little to no budget when I was more on the digital marketing or just sort of lone wolf head of marketing, director of marketing early in my career at some companies where you know, it was a shoestring budget to where the things that I chose to spend money on, I really had to believe in them and have have a full plan of how I thought they were going to work and, and what value we were going to get from them. And I've been lucky enough, right? I, I kind of take that even as I've had growing budgets throughout my career that I still kind of look at things in, in that way. But yeah, I mean, currently I deal with all my jobs of there's the ROI, there's, you know, what are we getting from this? How are we going to maximize this budget? What are the deliverables? You know, and That's where one of those areas of lead gen really comes into play a lot because it's very easy to show cost per lead and say, I'm getting this many quote unquote leads where a lot of cases, like you mentioned content syndication, where is it a lead or did you just get an opt-in email address that is that a lead? Is an opt-in email address actually a lead? And it's like, sure, you're able to contact them, but there's no buying intent. So you, you end up things around ROI and having to defend your budget lead you to justify things on earlier metrics that don't mean as much to pipeline and revenue. So that's one of the areas, again, where you get misunderstood because it's like, how do you show ROI on some branding things, on some demand creation things at times? Like, oh, I'm getting impressions with my target audience. Some people in your organization are like, yeah, but are they lead? Are they signing up for a demo? And I'm like, not yet. But in our mind, this is leading towards that there. So there's a lot of layers. There's there's a lot of things where you're trying to hit people at different stages and, and get to them earlier to influence them in the, in the buying process or see if they're even a fit to be in your buying process or not that are hard to quantify. And that's where a lot of yeah this misunderstanding can, can stem from. Exactly. Because, you know, Demand gen, everyone's talking about opportunities, right? Creating opportunities, creating revenue, and that's the goal. I'm not saying that's not the goal, right? You know, creating those low funnel SQLs, but getting there is still all part of demand gen. The All that middle stuff and early stuff, getting your company in front of people who are buying and not buying, it's all part of it. it and that's, I think, leads to the confusion. It's such a big mix and a big... I don't want to say a mess, but kind of a big mess. 
<laughs> to deal with. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's confusing. And I think this is, again, like a more relatable probably for smaller orgs. But when I take a broader look at demand gen, it can be daunting to look at and go on LinkedIn or talk to people in my network or the marketing society here and see 50 things people are doing that sound awesome. And then I'm like, well, budget, time, resources, ability, I cannot even come close to doing half of these 50. So what five or 10 can I realistically do and do well and potentially do together, you know, that sort of complement each other. And that's a really difficult part of demand gen as well on the strategy side where you do have to look at your own capabilities internally, match those with your marketing strategies and, you know, then the business initiatives at the company as a whole, because there's a lot of influencers on the marketing side on, on LinkedIn who are like, oh, stop doing this and you need to be doing that and this other stuff. And when you look at it, it's like, not all of that applies to me and my organization. There's a lot of these things where I'm like, like, okay, that's an interesting idea. Cool that it was successful for you, but there's no way I could do this at my company. Like that would fall so flat. Like that would be such a failure. Like, like there's some things where anybody that, that tells you they have a demand gen playbook or like framework or like a defined thing is full of shit. Like they don't know what they're doing. Like you haven't worked at enough organizations to know that there is no one size fits all. There is no like directive. There are no absolutes here. You need to constantly be adding to your toolbox as a marketer. And again, that's where I, I go back to my marketing generalist background of just knowing how all these pieces work, knowing all the little options and tools that I have in each of them and knowing when to apply them, how to apply them, and really important when not to to waste your, your time in, in some areas as well. I'm really happy to be on this podcast. I, I get a lot of value from these podcasts, from the marketing community that you all have established. And there are a lot of bad podcasts out there from cybersecurity vendors and others who read some article on LinkedIn about like, oh, this is how you create demand. This is how you create a community. And it's like, no, you didn't. You just put out a vendor podcast where you talk about your own stuff and can't get anybody interesting on it. And you probably wasted a lot of people's time. This is spicy, yeah, Tom. Hot take, Tom, right? Tom's bringing the hate to this one. With so much buzz in cybersecurity, we know how important it is to cut through the noise. Take it from our friends at Hacker Valley Media. With over 50,000 listeners from all over the world, they have mastered the art of standing out among the crowd. Boost your company's message by partnering with them on podcast sponsorships, live podcasts, and events. Check them out at HackerValley.com and tell them Maria and Gianna sent you. Again, that's HackerValley.com. They're also very good thought leadership, really like community-based podcasts as well. But the idea is it's not for everybody, you know, just because some people see success with things doesn't mean it's the right thing for you. You still need to be able to look internally and understand your unique opportunity with your team and then who you're selling to or marketing to and understand that sifting through that and that prioritization of things is going to look different for each team, each individual and each, each organization as well. Yeah. Tom, there is of course, okay, no one size fits all demand gen playbook, but I think that there needs to be this sort of standard foundation infrastructure and strategy for demand gen to actually work. I wonder if you have advice, if you've tried, you know, things like 
integrated campaign strategy where demand fits into what everybody else is doing in the marketing team. How do you actually put that into one? And then on the back end, how do you build that so you know how your demand gen activities are performing? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I mean, there's still foundational items in your strategy, I think, that you want to make sure that you're doing. And I, I think it does go back to those three things I mentioned earlier about creating demand, identifying demand, and capturing demand, and making sure that you're setting up things to do all three of those. And they all have different time periods, and, and they all have different strategic outcomes, too where you want to create demand, but that's long-term. That's like building your brand, fine-tuning your value prop and your messaging, and really being able to make sure that you're putting stuff out that resonates with your target audience. And also making sure you understand who your target audience is. Lead capture kind of falls somewhere, can fall all over the place with how you want to do that, the demand capture side. But I think the most underutilized is the area of identifying demand. I think a lot of marketing teams, they struggle with truly understanding what is the demand out there and like, how do we know it, especially outside of a demo request, right? Obviously, a demo request is high quality. It's going to be good. They're like, show me your product, right? But how do you do it in other ways to identify demand? And that, and that works with really refining your ICP to understanding I'll say lead scoring, but I mean that in a broader term. It doesn't have to be a number, and it doesn't have to be MQL, SQL. Come up with something that makes sense in, in your organization. And I think that's an area where sometimes that falls on marketing ops. Sometimes that falls in different areas. Sometimes it's in demand gen. Sometimes it's not. I think it should be in, in, in demand gen. But that's an area that doesn't get focused enough. So whatever, everybody ends up focusing on the demand capture side. So I think you really need need to balance the three where you're creating demand. You understand when demand has been created or already exists in the market, can you find it? So that can be things like intent data externally or internally. That can be things like evaluating engagements with your marketing channel. So, so that could be at an event, that could be a webinar registration, website visits, social media interactions, and all of those things. And then obviously the, the demand capture side is you could get into debates about gating or ungating content, but it's not always that simple. It's, it's just, are we capturing when we think there's any level of interest? And then which levels of those interests are important to us and worth following up with? And that's how you determine whether you gate your content or not. But So I think there's different areas for all three of those. And I think the creating demand part is really where you're taking a content marketing strategy, but... You're taking the demand gen side, getting sales influence, getting product marketing influence, and, and being really intentional and programmatic with that as well. So you're not just putting out content to put out content. You're not just putting out content for website visits or for things, but they're actually fueling other areas of demand gen to where that might not be gated, but that could lead to an activity that's gated later that you do think is higher value and having that there. So I think it's about the balance of those three and then making sure that they flow between each other that are elements of more of a, a framework that would make sense to me in our areas that I'm always trying to make sure we're covering all of those bases. I did, no one could see, but I did like, I'm putting like breadcrumbs across the trail, right? This is like counting and tracking the breadcrumbs that eventually lead to a demo or an outbound and outreach from your sales team because, hey, like they've 
viewed our pricing page 47 times. And that's definitely some form of interest and demand that's growing there, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I'm like, right? Am I right? Is is my model correct when I say if they visit this page 47 times, they get a score of 100? <laughs> I mean, if they visit 47 times the pricing page and the sales team is not on the phone trying to get that account, <laughs> something's wrong. If it's 47 times, it's probably a bot, unfortunately. But- oh, <laughs> oh, yuck, my yum, Tom. But, uh, I was so excited. Well, and then one thing that you said right there that was really interesting too was social. Tracking social Social engagement, like this actually excites me because social media is this quote unquote dark funnel, right? But when you're running ads and you're running posts and things, you could see who's like likes, laughs, like heart emoji, comments, shares. You can see that on your LinkedIn, on your pages and on your ads. Can you give us any advice, Tom, on like indicators there? And like, how can you even operationalize that? Is it just like, a marketer watching things because it doesn't, as far as I'm aware for me, like, and maybe you have a tool that could help us. Like it's very hard to track that information in your CRM and your marketing automation system. Yeah, it is. I don't have a tool. If somebody does have a tool, reach out to me. <laughs> My God, please. Lot. Actually, this is our tool. Oh, Maria, tell us. Yeah. If you use HubSpot and you're using HubSpot to, for your social media, you can actually pull that engagement data into the ad side of things as well. And then the other way, from a paid perspective, not organic posts on LinkedIn, you can retarget people that engage with certain types. Like, for instance, somebody watches a video ad. I can retarget those people on a still image ad later on with something else. When you pull it into HubSpot, does it tell you like who the contact is? Because I'm thinking from like an outbound perspective, like, hey, like Tom Jerry from Ice Cream Company was commenting on our posts. How do we turn that into action, right? Yeah. I mean, if they're cookie, if they're in your database, if they're in HubSpot, you can see their social media engagement. But if they're not, then you can't. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I think on the on the not side, it's where they're not in your database already or not cookied. We've done it mostly in a, in a manual basis with the, the help of our BDR team to kind of leverage them to kind of go through and say, are you identifying individuals who've commented or, or liked or interacted with our posts in, in, in some way? And they do they have an interesting title or things like, like that? So as much as I would love to automate everything, <laughs> I could. There's There's so much manual process that still exists. Yeah. But, but, that's, uh, yeah. but that's okay. I think there should be this little bit of manual personalized sort of research and outreach on engagement because then it pushes the SDRs to truly understand, well, they engaged with this pose. That means they like this topic. And then that makes their outreach a little bit better, right? Yeah. And it kind of forces you to have the more human interaction too, where it's not like, copy and paste, here's our generic pitch over to you. It's like, oh, I need to read the comment that they put in there and see if I can come up with an idea that's related to what they're talking about and speaking to them about their actual challenges or interests. And to segue to another thing that I spent a lot of time thinking about on the, on the demand gen side is the search and the, the drive for more automation, more data, more analytics and things like that, which I'm a big fan of actually does diminish creativity and innovation in a lot of campaign development as well. So I do have sort of a love-hate relationship with it where 
I feel like it makes you a little more robotic to rinse and repeat, to cut things off that you don't think are working right away. And it makes you impatient to not like let things resonate and give them time to let things marinate for a cooking analogy there, to have time for them to develop and grow. And I think that's something that the cybersecurity industry as a whole really suffers from at times is the lack of creativity and innovation in our marketing where a lot of us sound the same, a lot of us do the same tactics, and we all sort of chase the same sort of shiny objects and buzzwords. And we're in a space where it should be a lot more innovative and creative because we work with a lot of really cool tech and what we do is really important. And there's a lot of innovation in our space in other areas, but you don't always see it in the marketing area. And I'd I've wondered if it's had to do with that drive for more automation and more data-driven things that kind of takes out the human element, the artistic element of marketing. Like you look at old school advertising, people would, would be in a room and just like spitball ideas and draw things on pads and like come up with ideas. And the modern marketing team is very much like, get me into HubSpot, get me into Google Analytics, like show me these charts and graphs and numbers and it's like, well, that's not going to help us create a really engaging, interesting campaign idea that resonates with people because you have to take it further and, and you need, need to use your brain and get creative and kind of silly at times too and throw out bad ideas to, to find your way to a new idea. So I'm, I'm, I'm a big proponent of balancing the analytical side with the artistic side of, of marketing as well. I love that. More humor, more emotion too. Yeah. And my first cybersecurity co uh, company that I worked for was in the threat intelligence space. And that was where I think we had some of the most fun really doing some of our marketing campaigns. And, and we did a lot of themes around things like Star Wars and later a Stranger Things theme and, and some other stuff. And I felt like it was always good for us to think of that way, to kind of have fun with it and be silly and think of things that our audience would enjoy or get a kick out of that wasn't always just, okay, how do we sell this threat intelligence platform? You know, it was just like, how can we get them to think that we're fun and cool too? You know? <laughs> Tom, so before we started recording, you mentioned that it is your two-year anniversary of being in the Cybersecurity Marketing Society. Ooh. Clapping. I feel like we need like a clapping <laughs> sound effect. Yeah. Yeah, and thanks to Elliot Volkman for the invite two years ago. He's a, a former podcast guest of yours as well. He referred me. He started to talk about it. We used to work together, and I was like, get me in there. Like, I was like, I need to be in there. Like, this is perfect. You know, and hearing later on the concept that, you know, the both of you had for creating it in general, I was like, I am your perfect target audience. I am your ICP. Like, in terms of like having information in a community to share amongst marketers specifically to the cybersecurity space, and really where this information is almost impossible to find elsewhere unless you just know people and talk to them. Like people outside of my own marketing team, I didn't really know any other cybersecurity marketers or where to get information on things. And the last two years have been a part of the society and I'm very active on the Slack channel. Even if I'm just reading everything, I've been trying to post more this past year and interact with people because I got so much value out of it. I wanted to try to be a part of somebody who's providing that value back as well, where there's so many good questions or ideas that come out of things. And 
I've also really loved being able to stay connected to some of my former colleagues as well in an area that's really comfortable for everybody. And, it, and it's also just really positive. Like not all communities and Slack groups are as hyper positive and supportive as this one is. And I've, I really enjoyed that as well, you know, where everybody's trying to share information to get better, get people jobs, like share stories, like commiserate when there's some things that don't go quite as well. And obviously the memes as well. Sometimes the the memes channel just gives me life that I need. So I'm really thankful to be on this podcast because of how much I've really gotten out of that community there. And it's something I bring up weekly, monthly basis at my last two companies where I'm like, oh, I saw this thing, or I've heard people are talking about this, or if there's a new technology or new event or, or new something, you know, like I'm going to see if there's already in information in there. And it's been cool to see how big the community is too. I, I didn't know it was that big. How many people are, are in the society is crazy, but it, it's awesome. I love it. So thank you. <laughs> oh, thank you. We really did not intend for it to be this amazing Oscar speech about how amazing yeah, sorry, we are. <laughs> I, I, I brought it up for anyone. Yeah, everyone's <laughs> listening here. This was all me. I, uh, I wanted to tell them that they did not ask me to, to do that. It's it's near near and dear to my heart. I check and clear the, the channels in that Slack uh, almost every day. Oh, Tom, we love having you. Thank you, Tom. And thank you for being on the episode. And before we close out, we're going to play a little game where me and Maria both guess. If you are not in marketing, in cyber, or marketing in general, demand gen or growth marketing, however you want to call it, what would you be doing? And then you're going to tell us what you would actually be doing, which does not match either of ours, our answers. And then you're going to pick who was closest. <laughs> so Maria, go up. Yeah, I'll go first. Tom, you have this really calm demeanor. You're always smiling, no matter what you're saying, even if it's like a sad thought, there is a smile on your face. I think those characteristics are perfect for an uh, elementary school teacher because I think you would have a lot of patience with tiny little monsters. <laughs> monsters, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, I get a very strong vibe of kindness from you, which I think Maria can also tell. And I think you would be a wonderful, wonderful doctor. Ooh, yeah, I could totally see that too, Gianna. Dr. Kish? What's okay. the verdict? That has a nice ring to it. Yeah. Can I change guru for so to be a dimension <laughs> doctor? You know? Dimension just, doctor. That's that would it. be a good podcast name, right? Dr. Demangen. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it almost sounds yeah. a little evil though. Dr. Demangen. True. Fixing True. your There's leaky that. funnel one lead at a time. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> wow, those are good ones. I don't know between the two of you. Which would be the winner? I don't know about either of those. I feel like that's the easy answer. <laughs> I do at times call my dogs the little monsters because they are little and <laughs> they're sometimes monsters. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I wasn't a big fan of school as a kid all the way through. So I don't know if I would go back and be a teacher but I've also never really considered being a doctor either. So I don't know. <laughs> I, you're right. So we actually either. are both wrong. So <laughs> Tom, what, what would you be doing if you weren't in cybersecurity marketing today? Yeah, it's interesting. I've thought about this. A lot of my life, I probably would have said something golf related. I have a golf club over here by my plants in the back there. But over the last several years, I love to cook. I think I would actually, I'd want to be a cook or training to be a chef or open a food truck or a little 
place. Oh my God. How did I not get that signal from that? Because that's exactly what I would want to do. <laughs> and I'm so surprised that I didn't get that aura from you. That's very. I sweet. got it. It was after Doctor, though. So. <laughs> that was her second guess. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, so G- okay. Gianna wins again. Yeah. Yay. Oh my God. He said it. Okay. So. <laughs> okay, Tom. You and I need to open a food truck and we can call it, you know. Delicious demand gen or something. Ew, oh my god! Uh, we need to talk. <laughs> yeah, I think we need to talk so, about that name, but I like the idea. Yeah, let's talk about the name. No <laughs> Tom, what what flavor, what like food style or food type or whatever? I have pretty eclectic taste on on a lot of different things. I like to go to Michelin star restaurants when I travel with my wife and go to and get like fancy kind of tasting courses and different things. But I also love. Like some of my favorite foods are really simple dishes, like a great smash burger or cacio e pepe or fried chicken. You know, like I I love really homey things like that as well. So it's hard to nail down, but the overall cuisines I gravitate towards the most are Italian and then some Asian as well, Chinese, Japanese, some Thai as well. So I'm a little bit better on the Italian side because I'm half Italian and I'm I'm still learning on, on the other cuisines. Oh my gosh, you could do a pre, how do you say it? Prefix food truck with Italian and Japanese food like courses, fusion style. And you get like five paper plates with your meal on it. <laughs> right, yeah. We'd have to figure out how do we get them to actually have it and hold it all out, out of the truck and eat it all. But <laughs> yeah, like, cool. but yeah, I mean, cups. if I could get a. <laughs> A brick and mortar place too, you know, that wouldn't be too bad, but I just love to cook for fun. I I cook for my wife and family and friends, but yeah, I I always wonder what would it be like to cook, you know, on a larger scale. Love it. We need you in that foodies channel and Slack then if you're not already there. I'm in there a few times. I'll get it going a bit more. Sometimes that channel's a little quiet. So I'll see if I can. Yeah. Yeah. Share some, share some plates. (laughs) Well, Tom, this has been such an awesome episode. Thank you so much for dropping your demand on wisdom on us and culinary wisdom as well, which was quite a surprise. Yeah. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. How can people find you, Tom? Yeah, I think on LinkedIn is probably the easiest and, and where I'm most active or obviously on the Cybersecurity Marketing Society Slack channel if, if you're on there as well. Those two are, are where you can reach out to me. Awesome. Thank you again so much for being on. And if you, listener, want to be on Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing, send us an email at hey there at cybersecuritymarketingsociety.com or you can send a note to podcasts within us at hackervalley.com. Please also send your feedback and also send us your Kakio e Pepe recipes. And that was not pronounced right. We'll see you next Wednesday for another amazing episode. Give us five to 10 stars, your choice, anywhere between five and 10 on the platforms that you listen to podcasts on. Have a great week. 